Sunday, January 10th, 2021. You are listening to the Inquisitor Podcast. On today's episode, I can fit 100,000 songs on my iPhone right now, but for some reason, I can't help myself but spend 100 bucks for like three vinyls, which only equates to like 40 minutes of music. I don't know why I keep doing this, but I just do. Uh, vinyls are making a big comeback these days. We're going to see if we can figure out why. And to help us do that, you know him from YouTube and Instagram at Snipe City Cards. Steve is back. Uh, how many vinyls in the Steve collection right now? About 300. 300. That is quite a bit. Uh, and former blogger to the stars and special guest, Eric Snelling is here. Murphy Group, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Not too bad. Now, whether you've been in vinyl for a long time or you're just looking to get into it now, we are here to help you do that and see how we can help you out. We're also going to give you some little snippets of some of our favorite vinyls throughout the pod, so stay tuned for that. All right. I'm Andrew. This is the Inquisitor Bro Podcast. Let's go. Alright, so we teed it up in the intro. We are talking vinyl, we are talking music, and we are talking live events. We introduced him in the beginning. Eric, buddy, welcome to the show. Um, is is band blogger the right way to describe it? If you handed me the Eric Snelling business card, is it Eric Snelling band blogger? You could have called me that when I first started out. I started on a blog and that was my ro- my roots, but I kind of moved more into PR and photography and that as I, I went on. It's kind of like a natural evolution of it. But, uh, yeah, I'd be happy with getting called blogger. Okay, that's pretty good. Well, we will uh, figure out exactly what to call you pretty soon. Uh, and Steve uh, is also here. Um, you know what's thing about vinyl? What's interesting about them is, like, I can't rationalize the purchase of a record, but it's kind of similar to hockey cards. And, like, there's the uh, opening of it. It's almost like when you get a gift, you know? Like, there's the opening of it, the unboxing, the taking it out. Some vinyls are, like, specially made. You know, like, they act, the vinyl itself looks different. It's kind of cool. There's, like, art work that comes with it like there's like a sentimental value to it a little bit yeah for sure it works better if you're a degenerate like me when you order so many that you don't actually remember what comes in the mail because you go to the store you actually know what you're getting right it happened like the other day i'm like what the heck is this i don't remember buying anything and i opened it up with something i ordered three months ago and i was like oh yeah that's pretty good yeah it's like getting yourself a gift a surprise gift yeah every day is a gift for me from me <laughs> that's pretty good um okay so back to you eric yeah. uh, i want to know more about how you got into this business because at some point you were going to uh, many different concerts in Toronto and what were you doing there? So let me start from the beginning. How did you get into this? Why music? Why concerts? And how did you go from sort of blogger to going to all these shows? Well, I guess uh, to, to just preface this, when I was like 15, 16, I kind of developed a really strong love for music and I knew I, I wanted to combine like my two loves, which was writing and music. So I started out, I, I worked full time through high school with the idea that once I was graduated, I'd take a bit of time off and just put all my time into into blogging. So I just started out with a WordPress blog and I'd basically buy my concert tickets and um, go from concert to concert and just write concert reviews. And then eventually I started realizing I have no money and this isn't going to possibly <laughs> work anymore. Oh, so I'm broke, but this was fun. Yeah, it, it was a great time and I don't regret it at all. But when you go to like buy a dollar meal at McDonald's and your debit card bounces back, you start to wonder <laughs> if you're making the right decisions in life. That's fair. So I ended up finding this, um, this website called Booking Agent Info. Basically, it's 15 bucks a month, and it gives you all these bands booking infos. So at this point, all I had was still a blog and really a tiny audience and a bit of a following on social media. So I just started emailing. I'd go on a concerts TO. I'd find every single concert that was coming up, and I'd email their band manager, their band agent. I'd just say, hey, 
Like, um, I'd love to photograph your band. At this point, I've never taken a photo. I've never, I don't even have a camera. Right. So after four months of intense rejection, which um, hitting on girls <laughs> through high school prepared me for. <laughs> You're a pro. Yeah, I was a pro. I was yeah, so I just, <laughs> sorry. I, I, I think a, I might have found the problem. <laughs> I had a Vietnam flashback of prom. <laughs> I <laughs> I ended up uh, finally getting my first gig, which was for a local band called Silverstein, and they asked me to come and photograph and uh, write reviews of their first concert, uh, their first festival in Toronto, which was Stay Warm Fest. That's cool. So when you actually reached out to them, what were you, like, what was the sell? Like, hey, I got a blog uh, in Toronto, decent following. I can take some photos, send it back to you, promote. That's honestly all it was. Like, I kind of polished my my pitch as the years went by, but it just started out with, like, hey, my name's Eric. I got this blog with, like you said, a certain amount of followers. And I was yeah. like, I'd love to come shoot your band. There'll be no charge at all. Like, nice. I'd be doing it for the for the experience and for just the photos. And I caught them at a good time because they were just launching the festival. So they couldn't get, they had some big names in like media there, but they, any exposure they could get, they wanted, right? Right, right. So I, I caught them at the right time and luckily they took a chance on me and uh, let me come and shoot their festival, which was a very cool experience. That's sweet. So I'm guessing they comped you tickets? Yeah, they comped me tickets. I got, uh, for the first time I got press passes and that. Sick. So it was like, after I got that, it was almost like a, like an addiction. I I loved going, I loved being backstage and that. So I, I knew this was what I wanted to do. Could you pick up girls with the press pass? You're looking across the table at me, Deeb. What do you think? I absolutely. The answer yeah. is no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. You never know. Okay, that's pretty cool. So then that was the first gig, and then you ended up kind of doing this full-time. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Full-time. Okay, so what was, what was gig number two, and how did that become sort of a full-time job for you? I got to be honest. I don't remember the exact gig number two. I remember because it was just so many. I'd say, like, I sent out maybe 100 to 200 emails a day, right. and then that's excluding phone calls. But what actually led to me getting gig number two was actually ditching the blog and starting a website. It was just kind of when you the agents would come and look at my website, it was something more polished than a WordPress blog. Right. So uh, as soon as the website came up, I started getting some interest in uh, in myself. Like it was kind of nice. I started getting certain agents reaching out to me just for small local bands and that. Oh, yeah. um, I want to say gig number two might have been maybe the Flatliners, another local Toronto band, which was um, which was actually an interview, I believe. Oh, no way. Yeah, which was cool. That was my first uh, my first interview with a band. Nice. And they were, it was a great experience. They were super cool guys. We went backstage and were, they were actually watching hockey when I first walked back there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, really nice guys. I got nothing but nice things to say about them. Are they them. local guys? Yeah, they're local guys. I think the singer, uh, he lives around the Danforth Music Hall, which was kind of cool because that was one of my favorite venues growing up. Yeah, that's still, that's, that's still around, right? Danforth's still around? As a venue? Yeah, it's like obviously not open right now, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. still. No, yeah. Yeah, no, I remember that, that was a great venue. So then uh, that was band number two. And then for how long did you end up doing this? Like I'm, I'm assuming you must have how – many, how many of these uh, gigs did you get by the time it was all said and done? Uh, near – I'd say like after about five months of kind of hitting the ground running, um, I'd say I was doing about four to five concerts a week. Um, all Toronto. Yeah, all Toronto. And then what ended up – what started to become my bread and butter was just actually getting PR packages – 
so I would get emails of um, like new releases coming up, which led to me getting albums before they were released. Nice. And so I would write a review based on the album. And that was where uh, I started to kind of get my bulk of my following gotcha. from like my readers would come from uh, me getting the opportunity to listen to albums before they could yeah. and then just telling them if it was good or if uh, it wasn't worth their money. Was there any like flagship band that was like a big milestone for you? So actually one of my last contracts I did, which was one of the, the it was, I grew up, I, I like worshiped at the altar of Ozzy, me and my dad. It was always like, yeah, I, from a young age, I was listening to Crazy Train and all that. My last contract I fulfilled was uh, covering him and Zach Wilde's uh, headlining Chicago opener. And that was pretty much every band I've ever wanted to see. It was, uh, it was Kiss. It was Ozzy, Rob Zombie, Stone Sour. Um, for those of you that are listening, I'm more into the, the heavy metal scene. Uh, but yeah. When what year was that? I want to say like three years ago. Okay. So not, not too long no, ago. No, not too long ago. It's, I remember. Sorry. It's pretty crazy to think of like the bands you just named that they were still touring three years ago. Oh, yeah. And those bands, like, you know, you go see Ozzy and that. You, anytime you go to a heavy metal show, they're all trying to look as angry as possible. You go see Ozzy, he's got a huge smile. He's having the time of his life and right. it's infectious. Like, Shut up! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Ozzy's fun. How long did you do that for from start to finish? I want to say like uh, probably two and a half years. Okay. The website mm-hmm. that you had, is it still up if you want to check it out? It's not still up actually. I've kind of uh, moved on from from that uh, career. Yeah. But um, it was it was called Headbangers Heaven uh, back in the day. Nice. Yeah. Keep the domain name. Maybe we'll fire it back up one day. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So I was going to ask you, though, obviously, aside from COVID, when that industry comes back, is this something that somebody, if they wanted to, could get into kind of the same way you did? Or has the industry changed? Like, is blogging not a thing anymore? Or is the role that you filled for these bands, is it still being done the same way? Or has that totally changed and that role is not really available if somebody want to get into it? 100% someone can get, can get into it. I'm sure the industry's changed and maybe blogging isn't the best way, but I'm sure if you did the exact same thing, I did the exact same approach on YouTube, yeah. which is more of a visual approach than a written approach. Right. 100% I could see you breaking in, anyone breaking into the industry. Right, right, right. All you need to really prepare yourself to get into is you're going to get a lot of rejection at the, the, fir- the first start. Yeah. And then just having that work ethic. And one thing I didn't talk about before is I offered any small band on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, an album review. So I said, send it to me. And the only thing I asked was after my album review, you put it on your social media pages. Right. So if you can find a way to get people to like kind of market your work and if you can market, find a way to market your work, people will, even if it's a small niche, will start listening or following you. So yeah, yeah I, I can hundred percent see anyone breaking into this industry. So you figured it out pretty early, but what I think a lot of people who start a business, um, initially don't realize is that you're not able like there's a trade-off between growing your business and monetizing it mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people are trying to monetize it too early and they think i'm not making money off this it's been three months and there's no end in sight for when i'm going to start to turn a profit it's like when you're growing a businessman most businesses don't make money ever and they end up just closing and the ones that do stick around is two three years before they turn into profit uh best case scenario so the fact that you stuck with it and you realize early on like listen i can grow my brand by offering you know free services in exchange for helping them promote me. That's that's key. I think that's probably what really got you popular. Agreed? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think you said a lot of people start to monetize too early. When I started this, I had the idea that, okay, these are my savings. I had no expectation of ever making money. I just right. thought this is something I really want to do. And I'm going to kick myself if I don't if I don't try it at a time when I had no bills and not really any responsibilities. Right. And even for those who are maybe at a different stage of their life than a 17-year-old kid, like if you got a family or that, this is something that you don't, need to quit your job to do 
This is something you can do at two in the morning when you can't sleep or before work. If you can find a way to, you know, still make your bills and then a lot a certain amount of time a week yeah. to do, uh, to pursue this, then it's hundred percent manageable. <laughs> I can just see like somebody's wife going, Hey, we got, we got dinner at my parents. It's like, I can't, I'm going <laughs> to see Rob Zombie at seven. I can't make it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my future fiance, I can look forward to that. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll understand what yeah. that's like. That'll be fun. Um, Eric is engaged. So round of applause for Eric, recently engaged. Congratulations to him. Oh, thank you. Any good stories from your years that you're willing to share on the Inquisitor Bro podcast? Oh, for sure. Um, one story I th- that was probably the highlight of my entire uh, career was actually when I did the Flatliners interview. Yeah. I was super nervous. I'm like, I go in there and they, they were all really nice, but they're like, hey, do you want a beer or something? And at that time, I'm only like 18. I didn't want to get like cause any trouble for them. Right. So I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. Not wanting to tell them how young I was. Yeah. I'm like, okay, good. Cause uh, we exclusively expect you to butt chug. And all of them <laughs> were deadpan looking at me. And then they all broke out laughing. And I instantly, like I laughed, I just started dying laughing and it took any tension out of the room. And it was like, I was just talking with my friends after that. That's awesome. Yeah. I wonder if you would have said yes, how that night would have ended for you. Uh, I don't think I would have gotten an interview, but <laughs> <laughs> you would have gotten something. Yeah. I'm very dedicated to this. <laughs> dedicated to the craft. Oh, yeah. um, pros and cons to the gig. Pros, obviously, you're getting free shows. You get to uh, meet some really cool people. Yeah. Uh, the cons, on one hand, are a lot of the people are very rude, especially at the beginning. You're going to... And then the biggest con actually was just time. Like, I'm talking about the great parts of the job. What I'm not telling you is probably six hours a day. I wasn't writing. I was emailing and I was on the phone. And especially near the end, it starts to get to the point where it's just so draining. Right. And you're dealing with a lot of people that have big egos. Actually, surprisingly, not so much the bands. The bands I found were very cool. It's the people behind the scenes I found to be super egomaniacs. So like yeah. a large portion of the day, I was I was kissing ass to yeah. get these interviews and that. Understood. And that starts to weigh on you a bit too. You didn't end up sticking with it. Uh, you ended up moving on to something else. But like, do you regret doing it? Do I, do I regret doing it? Absolutely not. Like it was an amazing experience. It, yeah. was, uh, it was, it was very, it taught me a lot too, just how to deal with people, how to deal with difficult people. And then just to, it was like a good boost to confidence, which allowed me to kind of, you know, it's such a difficult industry to break into. And by no means was I like uh, an A-list photographer or anything, but just having that confidence at such a young age that if you work hard enough at something, you can attain it is like something that's really good to have for, you know, your later years when you start pursuing a career, whether it's business or medical or law or whatever you want to do. Man, just become a motivational speaker. I'm already (laughs) pumped to go do something. All right. That's a, maybe that'll be my next thing. I'll I'll thank (laughs) you in every motivational speech. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. So you mentioned something pretty cool off pod uh, that you wanted to share. When it comes to finding bands, what are record labels looking for? Now, I would assume just great music. Is that the case? So that's what I think a lot of bands assume. And there is definitely record labels that you need to have some musical talent. But what I found with working with record labels is they look for an attitude or a group of individuals or even a person that they can mold into a brand. So you think about the great bands of the past, right? You got the Stones. The Stones were the bad boys of rock and roll. They had, whenever you think of the Rolling Stones, that's what you get for it. You think of the Beatles, they're more of the prim and proper type. They were always in suits. And even more recently, like um, we were talking about earlier with Rob Zombie. When he started uh, in his original band, White Zombie, the record label that hired him, the guy, just said it was noise but he looked up he saw this massive guy with dreadlocks banging his head this band making a crazy stage show you got to develop a brand when you're in, especially early on when you're a band so if you have the great music that's fantastic but if you go up and play your local pub and you stand stiff as a board and you know your social media is more boring than a politician right. then you're not going to get hired you need to really sit down and talk about your aesthetic even you think about kiss right yeah kiss is one of my favorite bands they're great 
Is their music over the top fantastic? I'm probably going to get a lot of hell for this, but no, they're a very general rock and roll band, but yeah. they have the look, the attitude, and the, um, the, yeah, the appearance that goes along with being able to market a band like that. Yeah, they, they, they created a brand. Yeah. That's what they did. Yeah, and you think about it, there's Kiss lunchboxes and all that. There's Kiss right. toys. And record labels see that when they hire a band, if there's that opportunity to market them in that way. But see, that's interesting because when I go see like a small-time band, like I'm way more into it if it's quality rather than just like the experience of the show. Like, you and I have been to some, like, ridiculous band. What was that Tupperware thing we went Tupperware to? Tupperware remix party? Yeah, like, they had stage presence, and it was visually something to see. But The, the first music- time, and then we went back the second time, and it was a total letdown. Okay, Tupperware party didn't have much staying power, it turns out. Were they a cover band? It, I think they started making originals. When we saw them the first time, they did covers. electronic, off, like, weird-sounding covers of yeah. popular songs. Yeah. yeah, which was why it was kind of decent. But yeah, you're right. They all had their little their little get-up. The one guy was in a cat suit. The other right. guy was wearing a pylon for yeah. a head. Right. All of their fans are dressed up in, in similar... But it was it gimmicky. Was, like, it had yeah. no staying power because the underlying music wasn't good itself. But what Eric's saying is that, like, record labels would be like, wow, we can probably sell these guys because of how unique they are. But to yeah. me, that sounds backwards. But yeah, that was a throwaway, I think that was like a throwaway weekday night at the Horseshoe, where you probably wouldn't have had the Horseshoe sold out, but I guess to agree with Eric's point was, it was busy that day for like a Wednesday night, right? you know? But see, with the Horseshoe, like, they've got the the benefit of like, people going there anyway, knowing they're going to see a band. Like, I'm not sure if people like, look up, hey, who's playing at Horseshoe Wednesday, let's go. I think they go, let's go to Horseshoe and maybe we'll see a great band. Yeah, you could have, but if you, if it's sold out. Oh, true, that's true. Like, it was, it was, I don't know if it was sold out when we went, because I think we didn't buy tickets ahead of time, but it was busy there. I remember it was very busy. It was busy. I remember that when we walked in, but like, we've been to many shows there where like, there was a line for tickets. Yeah. Yeah. So which band did you say that was? Tupperware Remix? Tupperware Remix Party. Remix Party? Okay. So even that, that's a crazy name. That's something you don't forget, right? Yeah, so and like and their their whole stage getup was like nuts. There were like the one guy was in like a full on cat suit, the other guy had like a pylon and like a, <laughs> a tinted visor and they were like talking like robots making electronic covers. It was So how exact. long ago did you guys see that? five years ago probably. Can you name a band with quality music that you saw five years ago? Yeah, anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But yeah. I mean, like, the memories that you guys yeah, have. Yeah, no, I see the point. So the yeah. first thing that came to your mind right. was Tupperware Remix Party yeah. and not, like, the Attack and Block show we saw at Horseshoe 10 years ago. Because what's interesting is, like, good music, you don't remember the, like, the date. You're like, oh, they're awesome. They've always been awesome. Right. But this was, like, it was terrible, and it was exactly terrible this day, and I'm never going to forget that time. It was a great time, though. It was a good time. The second time was, was, was funny. Yeah. 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 So I guess, like, I can probably ask you this, Steve, because you go to, like, you probably go to the most concerts out of anyone I, I know. When you see a show, uh, obviously music is important. What are your top requirements for a good, like, a good concert that you go to? For me personally, because I'm a big music guy, the music is is the bulk of it. But I remember my brother and I, can remember the bad snowstorm, like, six, seven years ago in the winter around the Christmas time? No, no, not, no, not that one. There was one a little bit prior to that. We had Alexis on fire tickets, and they and no one went because it was such a bad snowstorm. But they didn't cancel the show, so I forget who I was supposed to go with. One of my buddies and we canceled. My brother came with me, and we went. And it was uh, what's the venue by the airport? Uh, not Sound Academy. No, right? no, no, no. Uh, no, by uh, not downtown airport. International Center, International Center, whatever it is, by Pearson Airport, and. Uh, and we went there, and there was only, like, 200 people there. And this is when Alexis on Fire was pretty big. So we were like, this is great. We were right up front, and the show was great. Um, took us, like, three hours to get home in the snowstorm. But that's besides the point. But Seosin with not Anthony 
Wait, Anthony Green was in Seosin, right? I am not familiar okay. with Seosin. So Seosin with their newer singer was there, and the guy just did not want to be there. And he stood there, did not move the whole show. He was wearing his hood, and he just did like a couple of arm gestures, like a rapper, little, and the entire 45-minute set was stiff as a board, didn't move. And I like their music there, but to, to your credit to that statement, yeah, I, I, I remember that probably more than I remember. Like, I remember enjoying Alexa on Fire, but maybe because right. I've seen them so many times, but I remember the lack of them. Of energy from Seosin. Okay, Eric, um, what are you looking for in a hire? Now that I look back on it, when I first started out and I was kind of scrambling, uh, the first couple times I got like two, three concerts in a night, it was like I'd be looking for anybody that had a camera. But I got burned a few times, especially by, I sent one of my buddies to a, a concert he wanted to go to. He ended up getting bombed and the photos were absolutely atrocious. <laughs> and I remember having to call up the record label and be like, I'm sorry, I didn't get it. And, uh, that's a big deal for them because they have a set amount that they can send. So it's kind of like they're, they're doing me a favor, right? I'm not doing them a favor. Right. So after that, I made it a point that any time I was photographing or at doing an interview, I would watch and I'd look for a photographer and I'd see if they were acting professional. Because it's the guys that, or the guys and girls, there were a lot of girls as well, uh, that were interested in partying. And then yeah. there was the ones that showed up, did their job and enjoyed the show. So if I saw that, I'd go, I'd kind of talk to them, see if I got along with them. And then I would check out their photos. I'd ask if they have an Instagram page. And then usually a week or two later, I'd message them. One guy that I worked with, and I might be butchering his name, but he was a local Toronto guy. Was, I think I believe his name was Rob Botton, but he was by far the most professional photographer I ever worked with. It didn't matter, come hell or high water, that guy would, would be on the rail. Like, we could have gone to war and he would show up at that concert, right. which is something I think reliability comes before anything. And then quality of content is uh, second. Because if you have a guy who's an amazing photographer but shows up to one in every three shows, then in my opinion, he's more useless than someone who might take a little bit uh, less quality photographs, but is at every single show. Yeah. And uh, luckily for me, Rob was one of those guys who was not only reliable, but his photos were out of this world good. That's awesome. How many terrible hires did you have to go through? I'd say like, because I was small time, I didn't have like a lot of hires, but I want to say like giving people concerts, I probably had about six. Any of those your friends? <laughs> yeah, a few of them. I won't name any names, but like I told you, the one guy I sent that uh, shot the band for me, Yeah, it was one of his favorite bands. I thought I was doing him a favor because, you know, traditionally when you, you get a concert, the venue takes care of you. Yeah. They'll put you in the VIP section or the like close-ups. So you still get a, a good a good view of the show. And when I, I remember seeing the pictures and just being like so upset at, at him because I was... I gave him this like great concert ticket, and then you know, like I said, they're doing me a huge favor by right. allowing me to shoot their concert. And did you get hammered? Yeah. yeah. Well, he never admitted to it, but I mean, I could have sent my 11 year old brother at the time with uh, crayon and sheet of paper, right. and he would have drawn better photos right. than what this guy got. Okay, we're gonna call this guy uh, John. Yeah. John, you did him dirty. <laughs> I can't believe you got hammered on your first gig. Um, all right, well, this is a good segue into any other crazy stories from your time doing this. Uh, there were definitely some very crazy stories. Uh, one, one of the funniest ones was actually, I remember uh, at the Chicago Open Air concert when Ozzy was leaving his Escalade. Uh, they have like the backstage area and, area and Chicago Open Air was a huge festival, but they didn't have great security. And so I'm like walking back. I'm trying to hopefully meet Ozzy and like, I wasn't allowed, like, in his area, but when he's coming to the Escalade, I was hoping, you know, just get a fist bump or, like, say hey or whatever. And the barrier came down. No way. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm in a sea of fans and that. And it was it was crazy. Like, all of a sudden, the security had no idea what to do. Like, um, it wasn't like the fans were being crazy. They just wanted to see Ozzy. So they had him in the Escalade. He's ripping up out of there. Like, I don't know how they didn't hit anybody. But, uh, you know, these guys are trained to do that, too. And they were on the streets and gone within a matter of seconds. Right. 
And then there's just, you know, kind of like the, the more goofy stories of you're meeting bands and yeah. the stuff that they do. There's a lot of like, you can't have, uh, I don't know, I guess like a big sense of pride or ego because when you're a photographer or a media person, you're basically like um, the worm in that establishment. You're coming to feed off of them. So everyone kind of treats you as such. Right. The roadies think that you're posers. You get treated like that. I remember. Wait, the roadies think you're posers? Yeah. And honestly, I am a poser compared to those roadies. Those guys are usually on piece of crap buses. Right. Touring like 280 days out of the year. And they're just doing it for their love of rock. You know, I'm going home and at this point sleeping in my bed in my parents' house where I have no bills. Yeah. And probably, I'm not going to lie, I'm probably getting eggs made for me by my mom the next day. So. Listen, man, your mom sounds like she makes a damn good egg. She does. <laughs> she does. Eggs Florentine or sleeping with seven sweaty dudes on a bus? I'm taking eggs Florentine. The life of a roadie doesn't seem like a very lucrative career. And when it ends, like, where are you at that point? I, you're kind of exactly where... You started. You started, yeah. <laughs> but older. Not, yeah, I mean... Uh, I'd say the best idea for a roadie is a lot of them are guitar techs or that. So occasionally if the guitarist is sick or something, you get that opportunity to shred on stage with a band that you've been traveling with for That's true. for years. That's and cool. I, I think just from my perspective, I don't know if you can weigh on in on this too, Steve, but if you had the opportunity to play for like the Arkells, would you be willing to put like five years of crappy work into it? Um, five years is, that's, that's <laughs> so a long that's going to be a no. Well, no, like it, it's, you know what I mean? Like I, I get, but, but that's like a one-off gig too. Then, then you're done. And then what if yeah. that never happens then? Well, I mean, here, look at it. So you spent five years doing that cause you know, it's coming and then it comes and like now where are you at? Yeah, exactly. You're just the guy that filled in. Like you're almost better off just, you can, you might be able to chance that together as is. I think we went to a dream theater show when the vocalist was sick and I remember Josh went on stage and, uh, and cupped the mic. they had the mic turned really low, but they were like, anyone wants to come and sing. Yeah. But Josh cupped the mic and was like growling on stage with the whole band. So <laughs> that is he awesome. didn't have to spend five years to do that. So maybe uh, it's the better way. The odds of that though, seem very slim unless you can give the lead singer the flu ahead of time. Yeah. And that, then plan that. Yeah, that's where you like find him behind stage and be like, hey man, uh, nice to see you. <laughs> Achoo! <laughs> what the hell was that? He's like, why are you licking my beer bottle? <laughs> it's fine. I'll see you later. Or maybe well, I won't. It's, it's a fine. Canadian custom. <laughs> Good stuff. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Inquisitive Bro Podcast. We know you listen to us, but more importantly, we want to hear from you. Did you disagree with one of our takes? Did you catch a mistake that we made? Do you have your own take about something we discussed that maybe we didn't consider or fail to mention? If that's the case, we want to hear from you. Hit us up on Instagram at The Inquisitive Bro. Or if you want to just reach out and say what up, that's cool too. If you make a good point, bring us an interesting take of your own, or you get us talking about something cool you brought to the table, you just may hear us giving you a shout out and discussing your take on our next podcast. All right. Well, we're not done yet. As always, thanks for listening. Now, back to the pod. All right, man. Steve's back. Eric's back. We're going to talk vinyl. Um, Steve, you collect. You actually got me into vinyl. Yeah. Um, I don't remember why, but see, that's the thing. I still don't know why. Why vinyl? Um, it's cool. It's like the gist of it, right? Yeah, but like, how do we quantify that? Like, I can get more songs back in the day on an iPod. The, yeah. the sound quality is... We'll get into sound quality, but like I can Bluetooth through a speaker, so convenience, it's easier. Yeah. But for some reason, vinyl is like there's brick and mortar vinyl stores. Like you would think that they would never survive, and yet they do, and they're popping up more and more. But we're going to get into why we think vinyl's coming back. But first, let's get into what it actually is. Um, vinyl is the material which records are made of. How many people think actually they know that? 
I think everybody knows that. Really? Except for you before you did your research like half an hour ago. Well, I mean, before you got me into it, I just thought vinyl meant record. I didn't realize that the record itself was made of something called vinyl, which is used for other stuff. I didn't bother looking up what that other stuff was, but I think it is used for other stuff. Yeah, like Windows and like everything. Used to Windows and everything. Yeah, that's, (laughs) yeah, so a little bit of everything. Well, it sounds very, very useful. Could you play a window? That's interesting. Put a needle on a window. You You actually, okay, I don't know if this was a throwaway question. You actually could. I was actually... There was a point in time where I was going to mess around with doing this, but um, if you get a small enough speaker, what I wanted to do was put a little, um, basically a little arm coming off of it and a sewing needle, yeah. and then grab a, uh, a plastic uh, plate, like throwaway yeah. plate, yeah. and play the song through the speaker. The vibration of the speaker will shake the needle to cut into whatever you have. The exa- like That's basically how, a, that's a primitive way of making a vinyl. It will play like garbage because you're using a sewing needle and you're trying to cut into a plate. Right. But... Yeah, that's so that's could. actually pretty interesting. Um, and, and maybe it sounds like you do know this, but if you don't, don't worry about it. How does the needle actually pick up the sound off the vinyl? Is it like little cuts on the vinyl? Is that what it is? Yeah, so it's the vibration is making grooves into the vinyl. And then, so you get the vinyl. If you had a super like magnifying glass to look into, you would see, it would kind of look like when you're recording something on your on your PC and you see like the sound waves on it. Yeah. It basically kind of like that cut into the vinyl. And then your record player is an amplified needle that bounces around in there and it picks up all the vibration and then shoots it out your speakers. Right. That's pretty cool. So a little background on vinyl uh, became real popular in the 20s and 30s, and then eventually ended up dying down because tech simply took over. You know, we had cassette players, we had CDs, and then the rest was history. Now it's making a comeback for a different reason, but at its peak, it was the go-to, right? You go to somebody's house, they put on a record. I have stories from grandparents or older ones who just didn't have any other way to play music, and this was the go-to thing. So if you know somebody who's a little older that was into music back in the day, they're sitting on hundreds, if not thousands of vinyls from back in the day. They're just sitting in their basements. I chucked some from our garage when I was like 15 because my mom had a bunch of them. And I don't. I think I remember something Michael Jackson in there and it was probably original. But hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast because, uh, yeah. But yeah, everyone threw them out back in the day in like right. the 90s and the 2000s for sure. I compared it to uh, cars, right? Cars from the 60s and 70s. Like... If you had any of them, they're collector's items now, right? If they're in good but condition. Were, were they in, like, the 80s? Those same cars? Yeah. But less or so. It's a supply-demand thing, right? Like, you right. didn't have time for it to go by for it to be really cool, but at the same time, like, you need to manage to keep them in decent condition, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's, like, a car that you could have bought for 5000 bucks, which everybody had. It's, like, Barrett-Jackson auto show auction now for millions of dollars. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we mentioned it. Brick-and-mortar stores in Toronto... Uh, a couple of big ones, Sonic Boom. Any others that you guys go to frequently? Uh, rotate this. I love Sonic Boom's great because they have pretty much everything. So if you can't find it elsewhere, um, my go to Spadina go-to. and Queen. Uh, Dundas. Dundas. I think closer to Dundas. Yeah, yeah. If you walk up Spadina, you'll pass like three Chinese grocers, and then you'll find it. Yeah. There's a and there's a whole ton of other smaller record stores there. There's Ponder Replays just north of there. I think there's there's uh, there's got to be like thirty or forty of them if you want to go around. Yeah. What do you think has led to um, vinyl making a resurgence? Because we mentioned it like a little bit ago, like you can't justify the purchase as far as value or efficiency because it's expensive and you're not getting that much music mm-hmm. and you need a bunch of tech. It's not portable. That's another big thing. It's not portable. It's cooler and, okay, so for example, I was reading an article uh, earlier this morning, not related to vinyl at all, but it was just talking about someone getting a handwritten letter in the mail. And I think you might be more apt to read that than like the standard 
15 pieces of mail you're going to get a month that's just printed up from like your local company that's trying to advertise or the the ward 34 politician or whatever the case be i think if you got something that was actually handwritten you'd be like hey okay this is it just grabs you in a different way so even though it's it's not the most practical way of doing things sometimes the long route ends up uh I don't know. It gets you a bit deeper, I guess. No, I get sense. it. I get it for sure. I mean, it's similar to people who buy books for a bookshelf, right? And, yeah. like, I didn't realize this was a thing, but apparently people buy good-looking books simply to decorate a bookshelf, whether they read them or not. And at least violently, you can get some use out of it. You can still play it. But, like, if you have, like, I, I know your setup, you've got a bunch of vinyls in, a, in, in, like, a credenza kind of thing, and it looks sick, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that could be another reason. But um, we're going to get into sound quality, too, because I think there's a little bit something to that as far as why... Uh, vinyls are more popular now but let's be honest the year is 2021 i can fit like a billion songs on my computer um and yet i can't stop myself from spending too much money on vinyl here's a funny story about vinyl so when i first got into it with you um i had some people over and i'm like yo i'm gonna put a vinyl on right Mm -hmm. so i threw something on and needle drops and starts playing i'm like awesome basically by the time i got back and sat down it's like click uh one sec guys gotta go like flip the vinyl you don't realize at the time like you're only getting three, four, five, maybe six tracks per side. It's just not a great way to actually play music, right? In, in terms of that, yeah. Like, it, it never bothered me before, but I'll, I will admit there's been times where I'm just, like, kind of napping on the couch and really in the vibe of it. And the last thing you want to do every half an hour is get up and go turn a vinyl over, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's different for sure. But um, it's kind of become a hobby, I got to think, right? You go out, you find them, you search for special ones, Maybe there's one that's um, kind of hard to find. You manage to find it. It's like, hey, I found this. I've been looking for so long. Like, it's almost like a hunt, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of what has led to some of the resurgence as well. Do people buy them as an investment? Um, definitely. I know I. that's always kind of in the back of my mind. I have bought some in, in, as an investment that I wouldn't have bought otherwise. Like, I've told you my story about the Cranberries vinyl that I gave away because I kind of bought it for an investment, a limited edition one, and then yeah. I held it for four months. I'm like, I don't really listen to this too much. And I gave it to a friend of mine, and then the lead singer died, and then it went up to, I paid 40 bucks for it. I think it's worth, like, 350 right now. Right. So it's, like, there's definitely, that is the one benefit to it. Like, traditionally, they generally hold their value. They're not, I mean, as as it's been the last few years, nothing's really dropping. Um, generally, most of the stuff holds or go up in value. Right. So we've talked about it a bit, but now it's time to talk about it. What I really want to get into is uh, sound quality. Is there something about listening to vinyl, whether it's phonetics or whether it's just your sound system, what is it, or just the crackle of the needle, is there, is there a better sound quality coming from the vinyl itself than if I just stream it Bluetooth from my phone? Or is that all just in my head? From the research I've done, the answer is yes and no. Okay, what makes vinyl different from back, say, like in the 70s and the 80s is that was straight analog. Right now, pretty much everything that comes out on vinyl, it goes through a computer. So you you have the potential to get whatever you have on your phone also went through that computer. So what do you mean by analog? So analog would be not using a computer at all. You're not using a computer to change any of the sounds or anything like that or to master it at all. It's all done, um, like Eric would probably know more about this kind of stuff, but it's all done like, like, a, like a live concert would be. It's all very, I mean, I guess a live concert would go through computers now too, but it'd be very technical. The sound waves are coming in and you're just using that. Okay. Um, for example... So Jack White does some cool stuff at Third Man Records and he's got a live venue down in Nashville and every so often he'll have a band come play a live show and it does not go through the computer. The band plays, all the sound waves travel 
through a needle onto a master pressing um, through onto an acetate master. And once the show's done, you go have a you go chill, you have a drink, you come back like an hour and a half later, and they will take it from that one. They'll press whatever it is, however many people there are, 150 records of it, yeah. and then they'll give you a limited edition record of the show you just listened to, but it does not go through a computer. It's not digital at all. It's it's only analog, and you get pros and cons. You're gonna actually get the sound that you heard. So if the actual show sounded not so great, right. that's the sound you're gonna get, right? Right. Um, but, but see, that's interesting because I think a lot of people, especially back in the day, like they appreciated the authenticity of the vinyl itself because they weren't looking for perfection, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. But you do have like one more point on that is I think there's a lot of bands they know like they know that they want their vinyl to sound better. Like I've got one uh, vinyl. Uh, it's High Violet by The National. Like within ten seconds of hearing the first track, I don't know. I know it's it's not analog mastered, so I know it's digitally mastered, but they, they a lot of, if you're good at it, a lot of guys will do it in a way that makes it sound better coming through vinyl. If I played you that off of my off my same sound system, if I Bluetooth my phone to it versus played uh, the first track of the album, it would take you 15 seconds, and you'd be like, "Holy crap! This is a huge difference." You feel like right. you feel the atmosphere of it. Right. I believe that too, and like I don't have any specifics in my collection where I know they've done that, but there's certainly some stuff that I play, and I'm like, the sound. There's something about the sound quality, the way I feel when this is playing, which just like embodies the music way better than if I was just playing it digitally off like a Google Home, for example. For sure. And there's also the downside to that. Um, like I had, uh, I remember one record store day I went with Hayden and we grabbed Crisis by Alexis on Fire. limited edition on white vinyl they only made a thousand of them we were super stoked that we found it that day we waited in line for like an hour from like eight in the morning at sonic boom went home and played it and the pressing was awful it was i actually like it was so unlistenable i just and it was limited edition on white i kept my original one just it was like a double lp on black that was like 30 dollars i sold the other one for 70 bucks it was just awful horrible but like do you think you had a bad vinyl or they were all no because like hayden that? has the exact same one and right, there was another right. there was another rage against the machine live one where it's like you go home you listen to it and then like i text him like two days later because we bought those two on the same day i'm like that rage album sounds awful right and he's like yeah and that was live so it's a bit harder to make live sound good but it's just right. whoever's mastering it like i think that's a skill in itself where you have to know how to do that for vinyl to make it sound better right let me ask you this, Eric. Um, your favorite bands today, like if they're coming out with a new album, are you looking to pick up the vinyl, or is that something for you that's just not a thing? So I went through a stage where I bought a uh, not a lot of vinyls, but quite a few. I bought like uh, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses and um, Master of Puppets by Metallica. For me, it's not. I I don't make it a priority to buy vinyl. I completely get why people are into it because I don't know if it's nostalgia or like Steve said, that it just sounds better, but there is something when you put a needle down on the the record and you hear that 
crackle in that yeah. that I love. But for me, it's just easier to use my Apple Music in that. Probably a bit of laziness on my part, but that's my go-to way of listening to music is just through streaming. Yeah, no, listen, that's that's like the majority of people just do that. And frankly, they've asked me kind of like, well, why vinyl when like this is so much easier and cheaper? And like I get all this. You're paying 30, 40, 50, 100 bucks for a vinyl for like you know a dozen songs. I get them for free on Apple Music for a monthly subscription. And, like, yeah, it's true. If that's your MO, then, like, it's going to be hard to tell you why you should be buying the vinyl. But at the same time, like, when you're holding that in your hand and you've got the cover art and you've got something special inside, um, it just kind of makes you feel like you're, especially when you really love the album, you really love the band, it kind of makes you feel like you're holding a piece of it, like you're more of a part of it. When you just play something off of a stream, you almost don't feel like it's the same um, it's too easy. Yeah, you, you know? don't you don't get to appreciate it because it, it's too easy. Sometimes it's like a little bit of hard work for something makes you enjoy it more. Yeah, right? even like putting mean? the vinyl on and yeah. like dropping the needle, like you kind of feel like you're a part of it. You know, it's it, again vinyl, man. The mystery it's hard to explain. Streaming is very impersonal too. Like there's right, yeah. Whereas right. with the vinyl, you got to listen to the whole album the way the band intended it. Right. And even with CDs, it was like that too. And I do I do think there's something to say for listening to a record the way the band planned it. Correct. Um, I agree. Now, uh, some people are vinyl pros like yourselves. Some people are kind of getting into it for the first time now, or maybe they're thinking about getting into it after listening to this pod. Let's help them out. Where would they start? What do you need? What is the beginner's set? So the first thing I'd probably avoid, and I can say this because I made my mistake doing this, is when you're looking for a budget record player, you got to make sure you buy something that's not going to damage some of your vinyl. So the first one I bought, I bought it with Air Miles, and it was a Pioneer one. It was, like, worth 250 Air Miles. And I had my first album of This Will Destroy You. I think I still have it kicking around. It won't play, like, it, it, it sounds awful because the quality of the record player that I had, the needle was brutal, and it just chewed up the record. So a lot of the stuff that you're going to see in stores, they give you, um, I think Crosley has a lot of low-end ones. It's like in a suitcase, and you'll see it advertised for like 60 bucks, and it's got a built-in little tiny speaker, which yeah, sounds man, those, like junk. Okay, but, hold on. I got to stop you right there. Yeah. Those suitcase ones, yeah. when you are when you don't know vinyl and you see them, you go, that looks amazing, mm-hmm. right? It's super cool. I can tuck it away in my apartment. It won't yeah. take a lot of space. I can pull it out whenever I need to. Don't. Yeah, they are notorious. Like the low-end ones, some of the high-end ones are, are, are decent, but the low-end ones are notorious for they will damage your vinyl. Yeah. So yeah. that's the one thing to avoid for sure. If you're asking the starting point on what you would get, it's the same one I told you to get, and yeah. it's actually the same one I still have because I haven't upgraded, but uh, the Audio-Technica LP60, for you can usually find them for like 150 bucks, sometimes less. Uh, it's always treated me very well for a starter. Yeah, I've had mine for over 10, maybe around 10, maybe around 10 years now. Not a single issue. Nothing broken, never had to take it in. Everything still plays great. Some of the vinyls I bought way back then when we first got it still sound the same way they did day one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when you want to repeat that brand one more time? It's an Audio-Technica, and that one, like their low-end ones, the LP60 is the one I like. They have like a Bluetooth version or anything like that, but uh, it's a pretty... That's that's where I would start anyone who just wants to spend less than like 150, 200 bucks. That's where yeah. I start them. I think honestly, like I think mine was like 160, and yeah, no issues. Super happy with it. Um, hoping to get another 10 years out of it at least. So you got a record player. Where do you go? Are you going online? Is there brick and mortar places you'd like to go to in the GTA? See, it's also that's also like part of the experience. The so one thing that's see Sonic Boom is cool when you're trying to find something um, Sonic Boom Records downtown because they are super organized and it's massive and they have everything but there is something 
to like I would do this all the time. Like I used to go with Babalu Mike with, and we would go to rotate this. Rotate this has some of the big stuff um, uh, itemized. So like if you're looking for like whatever, like the like Sam Roberts would have his own Sam Roberts kind of you know like little area within there. But if you're trying to look for say like Seosin or like whatever like the lower end stuff, they're not going to have their own thing. So you've got to look through a giant stack of 200 records that are labeled S. Right. And there is something to that when you're flipping through. And then you find something. Um, the one time I was buying records for Record Store Day, I was always looking. Matthew Good records are tough to find. Um, some of the older stuff was not released in high quantities. And I remember going through Rotate This and just always, every time I go there, I just always look through the the M's and the G's just in case it's placed in either one because they're usually like $100 for just the, the base record. And there's something to that that's enjoyable. It's spend a couple of couple of hours. You're in a place, there's music playing there, so it's kind of a calm environment. You're just flipping through pretty zen i gotta say yeah and that's another thing too is like when you're trying to find something that's uh hard to find sure you can go online and somebody somewhere will be selling it to you for like 10 times the price of what they paid for it right but if you manage to find that in a record store because you're flipping through and you found the vinyl that was hidden behind all the others you're not gonna have to pay top dollar yeah exactly i the one of the mad good ones i remember clear as day it was i found it for 40 bucks and online it was 110 bucks steady on that one it's just right right in the used section of rotate this for 40 bucks and it was great. Well, I went record shopping with uh, Rebecca a few like long time ago, like at least like four or five years ago, and I wasn't even looking for anything specific. But I came like hole in the wall record store place, right? They were also selling belts. They were selling mm-hmm. records and belts. Mm-hmm. And um, I was flipping through, just looking at stuff. As you go in, you kind of just like look around, and then you leave. But I found this Jackson Five album, and I'm like, wow, this looks like super old from when they were all kids, right? And the sleeve was in, like, no condition, like, terrible. I'm like, oh, man, dude, this has to be, like, the worst. And I looked at the vinyl, and, like, it had some nicks and some marks, and I'm just like, I'll try it. Like, it was, like, five bucks, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, whatever, five bucks, I'll I'll pick it up. Um, I got home and played it. Sounds amazing. That same record today, 300 bucks. Really? Yeah, man. Isn't that crazy? That's such a great feeling, no? It's a great feeling. It's a good find. And, like, I'm never going to sell it because I love the album. But, like, if one day I decide to, it's like, hey, five bucks, great find. You know, it's like, it's almost like a collectible. It's like a card game. It's like a cars game in the higher end. Mm -hmm. You you take it, you enjoy it when you do, and then when it's time to sell it, you can turn it for a profit. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so we got our uh, record player. Um, Now, speaker system. You got to hook it up to something to play the music. Do I have to sell a kidney to be able to afford a good enough speaker system to make good sounding music? Uh, not necessarily. It's all about what type of music you're listening to and what how you want it to sound. Um, my speaker system's a 10-year-old Onkyo surround sound for my uh, just my home theater system. I like the subwoofer. It gives it some low sounds, and that's the speakers, they're okay, but with the sub there, it, it makes the music, it makes you really feel the music a little bit. Um, but it's all about what you want, what you're wanting to listen to. But I don't. You're gonna have different people tell you different things. Um, I know your uncle's got a, a pretty nice setup with a pretty good sound system. So what record player does he have? There's a Tiac 250, I think. And like, what's the difference between his, which he probably paid at like you know three, four, five times what I did, and mine? Um, there, there's differences to it. Uh, the Audio Technica is pretty simple because you can just it's got a couple of buttons you can start and stop. It does a lot of the work for you and it's very reliable, which is nice. Um, I know when I got that TAC for him, the needle was a very average needle, so I know he upgraded the needle and stuff like that. So he he probably I think we dropped like probably three fifty on it, and then he probably put another three fifty into it just to you, you know it's like it's like anything. 
Um, I was actually having a conversation with Eric maybe two weeks ago about sound. And it's like your average spending, you can spend, say, if you spend a couple hundred bucks, you're going to have like 90% of the sound. But everything beyond that, if you're going to drop 10,000 on a sound system, you're going to drop 100,000, you're marginally going to increase from that, you're already at the ninety percent point. If you if you dropped a few hundred, so you say he decent. bought his record player for like three fifty and put another three fifty into it. Yeah, I know he changed the needle and changed a couple other things oh, on see, it. Okay. Yeah, to make it to just make it a little bit better, right? Yeah, and that's the thing with vinyl, you can it's endless. You can always upgrade on because that his, stuff. Then his speaker setup itself is pretty impressive as well. Yeah, his his speaker setup is I don't even know what it is, but yeah, it, it definitely blows the water for sure. Yeah, it's pretty good. So uh, as far as starter pack though, we've got a starter pack record player. Uh, I remember for us, I just went to Best Buy. I got a, uh, I think it was Panasonic soundbar uh, that came with a sub. It probably ran me like, there was a range. I could have gotten in the market for like a hundred bucks. I think I paid two forty for mine, but I still have it. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Came with a controller. Um, yeah. So now I got everything I need to play. And now I got to buy some vinyls. Um, new versus used to start. For me, I've always been I've always been uh, new because most of the stuff I want to listen to on vinyl is a lot of newer stuff. Um, I do have some old stuff. It's all about what your what your budget is and how far you want to get into it. Um, I would probably recommend to start used because unless it's just me that I have a really horrible addictive personality, which I know is the case. But like, there's times when I had a big list when I started. I remember there's a couple of times that I went with your uncle to Sonic Boom and it was seven hundred and fifty dollars later because I found all these vinyls that I couldn't find at all the yeah. other places. Which and sounds I, like a lot of money to spend because it is, but like, how many vinyls did that actually equate to? 12, 15 vinyls. Most of it was like newer stuff, so it it ranged in like the thirty to forty range. But there was just stuff that like it was a bit difficult to find, and then, but yeah, like, and I'm like, I want this for my collection. I'm trying to complete this list, yeah. but it definitely can get out of hand for sure. Yeah, when I when I started, I did pick up a couple new ones just to have them, but I mostly did used. And I will say the prices are discounted for sure, but I, like one out of every five at some point will have an issue on the record itself. Like it'll skip or it'll jump. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. even some of your new stuff like might have that. You can get like I have one Matt Good album that has. Uh, Hospital Music by Matthew Good. single release of the re-release they did like three four years ago there is a major issue i forget what track it is and like every single one has this like some of them stop because the the, the jut is so bad some of them the, the, the needle just falls back into the same and it just keeps rewinding every four or five seconds someone yeah. just make a pop noise and go through it so like i mean that's 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 what you get out of vinyl but, but see if you buy new and it does that you can return it yeah, but all of the pressings were like that. So oh, if, I see. if you really want that album, which I really did, then my my options are to stick with the album that has an issue with that one track or not have it at all. Anything you've bought, fancy, special editions, limited releases, cool bonus tracks, um, special collabs or remixes, like any of those albums that you've picked up that you can remember? Oh, I've got a lot of them. Um, Third Man Records, Jack White would do uh, quarterly releases, and that stuff is pretty cool. So... You for that you'd have to sign up for a subscription beforehand, and they would basically uh, say there's ten thousand. I don't even know what the number is, but say there's ten thousand people that signed up for the subscription. You pay them your hundred bucks. Probably been going on for about ten years, and you will get something obscure that Jack White has tucked away on a file somewhere that is not released anywhere. You'll get 
Um, like, I don't even remember what some of the stuff is, but I've got some cool uh, live stuff from the dead weather that you really can't find anywhere else. Jack White's really about his music, so the quality, you know, is always going to be really good. Yeah. Um, Anything cool you found inside vinyls that isn't the vinyl, like the Jay Z vinyl? Yeah. Right? So I was, did I, you 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 ripped yours open for that, right? Okay, so here's a story. Um, that was also from Third Man Records, by the oh, way. That was Jack White releasing that Jay Z one. Okay, so I think it was the Holy Grail album. I don't remember which one it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, Steve got me uh, this album. I was like, hey, cool, and he's like, no, that's not what's cool about it. We cut open the uh i guess it was the back sleeve yeah to find a rectangle like a postcard a post basically a postcard with like a hole in the middle and i'm like what is this and then he put it on your record player and it played uh jay-z's dead presidents which yeah. was sick so you're that basically seeing so this rectangle cool. which just spins and like the needle itself you're like it's not gonna work you're visualizing like i know yeah. it's not gonna work you know and it's it, it did it spun and it played and it was awesome you lose a bit of sound quality on the thinner stuff like that and some bands will release promos of just it's just on that like very thin piece of plastic like a flexi kind of thing um, so obviously it's a bit tougher for the needle cause the grooves aren't so deep. How'd you know it was in there? Because I had, I always know what's going on at third man records and that's probably the coolest place to buy records in the States. And, uh, yeah. Let me ask you this record store day. Mm-hmm. What is it? Uh, record store day is a day. Uh, there's usually two of them. COVID kind of changed it. They kind of separated into three separate ones, uh, August, September, and October. I think, I think just to keep people from trying to rush the stores but traditionally record store day would have um two halves of it uh one would be around black friday time um so near the end of the year and then one would be about six months later around april and what that is is um it's a time when a lot of record stores would put stuff on sale so of their main stock they'll maybe put like 10 20 percent off but also the main draw is there will be a list released of um, all the distributors doing weird things with records. You'll get weird uh, re-releases that you haven't been able to find for 15 years. You'll get pressings on weird stuff. That Space Jam record that you always want, that is a record store day one um, on a turquoise green, like blotchy looking see-through. finish. It's, it's a pretty cool finish on it and so yeah. stuff like that. So you're going to get you're going to get stuff and they're all uh, in limited quant- quantities. Uh, it'll vary between what it is. But generally, you're going to get something that's more relatively rare and you're not going to pay like you're going to pay like standard, maybe slightly like you're going to you're going to find stuff for like 40 or 50 bucks. But a lot of times there's stuff and, you know, like if you find something, you know, this is going to jump up in price by like this is this $40 record is going to be worth 200 bucks because there's only a thousand of them. And it's it's in a lot of demand. Right. Uh, Boys, it was fun. Eric, thanks for coming on, man. Steve, always good. If they want to find your collection of records to see what you got going on, Steve, uh, discogs.com. 
Yeah, I'm on Discogs. I haven't updated since they changed the, uh, they made it to the shipping is more streamlined, so I'm not even sure if you can buy any of my stuff. You can definitely see my collection. It's Stephen with a P-H uh, underscore McGilney. So S-T-E-P-H-E-N underscore M-O-G-I-L-N-Y is the username. Listen. No one's typing that. Anybody want to buy me a gift, go find Steve Space Jam vinyl on Discogs. Give him a decent price. <laughs> And then you can just give it to me. I'll pay you back for it. I know he just won't sell it. Maybe he just won't sell it to me. So uh, <laughs> I don't give it to him to give it to you. You don't have that one listed, right? I don't. It's, it's on the collection, but you can like send me a message on it if you okay, want. Okay, Steve and to, Eric but... live at 32. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, thanks a lot, man. It was fun. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Steve.